Thanks, Mike, for finally letting me tour the Cage Club Podcast Network studios. No problem, Brian. But hey, could you not tell Joey? He hates it when you mess around with his stuff. Is that every Nick Cage movie ever? Yup. From Fast Times to Massive Talent, this network is pretty much the house that Nicky Coppola built. Hey, what about over there? Where do those stairs go? Mike, you have to do... I hate to do this to you, but you have to do a new... Intro? Intro. Well, uh, what voice did I do? I can't remember what I did. You did not do Michael Jackson. You did... Oh, you did uh, Angelica Houston last time. Okay, so this time has to be Michael Jackson, right? Uh, there was a little debate whether that would be PC to do Michael Jackson. I don't know. Of course it's not PC. <laughs> well, you, you can do it if you want. But he's now like up there with Ralph Cramden as just like one of those famous voices, like Mike Tyson. <laughs> That could be my, is that even is that better if I do Mike Tyson as Michael Jackson? <laughs> I don't know. Do OJ okay. Simpson. We talk about him today. Briefly. Hey yeah, yeah, that's way more appropriate. <laughs> hey everybody. I didn't do it, but <laughs> this is Uncle Francis Vine Seller. <laughs> no, just I don't know. Get us stole my memorabilia. <laughs> get us here. Get us take us to the wine cellar, Mike, somehow. All right, all right, all right. I got this. I got this. Uh so um this is uh, George Lucas. Um, my impression of Kyle Reinfried doing an impression of George <laughs> Lucas. Uh, it was a pleasure to work with Uncle Francis uh, in his wine cellar, the cup I cut for his Ford Coppola podcast and the King of Pop, Michael Jackson. And uh, this is a Cage Club podcast production. And did you know my wife cut Star Wars? <laughs> sure. <laughs> that she works. did. When I said, I have a seat, have a glass, and welcome to Uncle Francis's wine cellar. I'm Brian Rodriguez, but where's Michael? We can't start the podcast without Michael. Uh, I'm over here championing Marsha Lucas. Hey, everybody. <laughs> it's it's Mike. I'm here for Captain EO. Finally, to blast off. And if you listened last week, you'll know that originally we had intended to do this big Halloween special for Captain EO, but it got too mm-hmm. big. So mm-hmm. part one was released last week. Not a lot of Captain EO mentions in it. We wanted to get straight to the point with it. So today we're going to jump halfway through that recording, but for all intents and purposes, straight to the meat of the legend of mm. Captain EO. Yeah. Would you say we are going to hyper jump? To the center of EO. (laughs) (laughs) The center of the EOverse. Yeah. Or what could have been, what was, and too short, and what might have happened after. Who knows? So if you're curious of what wine we're drinking, or I'm drinking, I should say, listen to last episode. If If you're curious what merch Mike brought and I brought to the table, listen to last episode. Like I said, we're just diving right in mm-hmm. here we go splash splash i wish we had a better cue we need like a better copula cue i don't know <laughs> we'll figure it out Oh, good call, good call. And as I say it, as I talk about it, I'm thinking of like, you 
you know, people are like, what the hell is Captain EO? Mike, why don't you tell people what Captain yeah. EO is? Because like, I can't even. It is a 17-minute, at the time, originally, 3D. 3D, okay. I think it even said 4D because they were trying to do something with the seats or with the smoke. I have vague memories of seeing it at Epcot. So Captain EO is basically a short film, a 17-minute 3D space fantasy epic in the vein of Star Wars. It looks exactly like Star Wars. Like, it looks like it's ripped from a side quest in uh, one of the Ewok adventures. I was going to say, it's like, it's more like Caravan of Courage than yes. Return of the Jedi. Absolutely. But, you know, Michael Jackson stars as Captain EO, and he is the captain of sort of a motley crew of aliens that are Muppets, ultimately. And they <laughs> go around the galaxy trying to, like, spread music and joy. And they're on a mission in this movie to go to, like, some dark planet, which is basically a giant Death Star. And they crash land there, meet the Hive Queen spider lady who looks like like an alien from aliens and also the Borg queen. Uh, and then he does, like a, <laughs> like a he, he does like a dance off unleashes, like everybody's beauty terraforms the entire planet into a bright sunshiny world. And the movie ends. Basically it reminded me of like, uh, you know, we worked with thriller. Like that was horror. Let's try space. Let's, let's take Michael Jackson to space and do a musical short film. I mean, after this, it worked again with bad. They got Scorsese to do, the music video short film for bad. So this is kind of in vain of like what MJ was doing all throughout the eighties. It's just, you know, every time he was alternating peak talent of the time, right. It went from John Landis to Coppola to Scorsese. It is a collection of Titans of the era, hobpodging this multimedia project. That's a theme park ride. Essentially. It's a yeah, movie it, it, yeah. screened at the theme park. So it is weird. I didn't know it actually existed until you mentioned it when we were first concepting this show. It is available widely on YouTube. Um, so you can check it out there if you haven't, if you want to pause the episode and watch the 17 minutes of weirdness. I think we've seen every every inch of film that they can <laughs> cobble together to make this. We're going to talk about that for sure. But I got to ask, Mike, uh, you know, we refer referred to it before. I said that I'd never heard of this till you brought it to me. You clearly have a history with Captain EO. Yeah. But before that, Mike, you saw it recently. You saw it, obviously, for this podcast. Did you log it on Letterboxd? I did. I did log it. And I, I, I had to log it honestly. I it, this is This is not good. <laughs> So I just had to say so. And like, I mean, I've been watching some real shit this month for Hooptober and, and all that kind of like, I've been watching some really good horror stuff, but also just really good movies. And so for this to dip into my schedule was like a what? Like, I feel like I hit a huge like sinkhole. Look, it's not like without some fun, like it's kind of incoherent and incomprehensible and hard to watch, but like. It's harmless, you know, and like maybe they could retcon it into being part of the Star Wars canon and and do something new on Disney Plus and recast Captain EO and all this shit. But like, Brian, when I was a kid and I saw this at Epcot, I fucking loved this, man. Like, <laughs> I thought this was amazing. I loved Michael Jackson as a kid. I mean, I was a kid in the 80s. So like when this came out, 86 or so, I was probably six when this came out. When I saw it, I think it was my second trip to Disney. 
I don't know how to explain it. Like it just, I was a, I love Star Wars. I love Michael Jackson. I love puppets. I love Jim Henson and all that kind of crap. So this was like feeding me, you know what I'm saying? But like coming back to it, this is, this was rough. This was rough. What did you give it on Letterboxd? A star and a half. Whoa, that is low. Um, I'll say this. I, I knew very little about this, but I could tell from the jump that this was meant to be viewed in the immersive experience of that 3D slash 4D theater and ideally probably in the 80s. Um, it, yes. <laughs> uh, it was of the time. It was a bigger deal to be there. Um, I don't think my first viewing, which was the other day, you know, on YouTube, on my TV, I don't think it was meant to be viewed that way. So it was hard for me to grade. Again, I don't have a letterbox, so it doesn't matter. Anyway, 3.1, though, Mike, on Letterboxd. So a lot better than what you graded this. Really? That is, I think people have a best of the worst feeling about this where they, it's so bad, it's good. But for me, it couldn't get over that hurdle. I just saw the disaster. And I hate talking like this. Like, this is very rare to hear me on a podcast kind of like, quote unquote, bash something. But like, you know, I can't kind of like, dance around it you know and i just have to be like i'm i'm upset that it didn't turn out better you know like i'm sad that it's not good you know like i want it to be good like it's got all the elements like how could it not be good like they should have just done star wars basically i don't know what they were doing but like clearly they they wanted to do star wars you know uh, you know michael jackson would have been perfect like they should have just been like star wars presents captain eo like what would have been and like throw an ewok in there what the hell are they thinking they basically have the blue elephant from return of the jedi as one of the crew members he's not playing the piano but like basically like same species like it's just coming back i was just like all kinds of confused and and like aggravated (laughs) and like i had old man disease you know i was like what did they do to my thing i used to love like i used to love this i hate it now well i think when we go over the production and the history it'll make a little bit more sense um you know the guys on too fast too forever like to play that letterbox game i'm not going to waste anyone's time with playing it but six people have this in their top four or whatever on letterboxd I randomly picked two of them. <laughs> One of them is Blanket Jackson. I don't know if it's literally Michael Jackson's son, oh, Blanket, Blanket. Yeah, but like yeah. that is their profile. So they're either Michael Jackson's son or they are just a Michael Jackson super fan. So uh, Captain EO is in their top five. Michael Jackson's Thriller is also in their top, sorry, sorry, top four. Michael Jackson's Thriller is there. And I more want to bring it up because like it's cool that that has a letterboxed. Also, maybe you know about this as more of a child of the 80s than I I was. I was born in 87, so I wasn't as cognitive in the 80s as you were. Moonwalker by Michael Jackson. Do you know what that is? Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. There was even a Sega Genesis game. So Moonwalker was about how this is where Smooth Criminal comes from and the white suit and Mm. the lean dance and all that and the pool cues and everything. And so this was about Michael Jackson... Uh, was rescuing orphans from Joe Pesci, who kidnapped them with a giant spider. A spider again. I think it was a spider. And then Michael Jackson turns into a robot to rescue them. 
And he turns into like this giant chrome Michael Jackson and goes around kicking ass. And there was a Sega Genesis game and an arcade game. And I think Brian just laughed so hard he fell off his dinosaur. <laughs> I think he fell off his chair. But like, yeah, I forgot all about that. And Joe Pesci's in it. Oh, my God. I'm glad you bring it up because this is going to really color um, the talk today. And the fourth one, of course, is Peter Pan, which also covers Peter the Pan. Talk oh, because he always, yeah, Neverland. It, it should be bad, though, because... Because those are the four, like yeah. extra long music video mo- movies that he did. Yeah, Free Willy maybe on there. But um, <laughs> so the <laughs> the other person who also again there was a couple of them, but the other person I selected who put it in their top four person's name is Luca Conlazo. <laughs> their choices are Captain EO, Purple Rain, which okay, they're the Prince okay, Michael Jackson fan. I've watched it a couple times. I cannot get into it. The terrible Purple Rain sequel. Under the Cherry Moon. Wait, that's not the Purple Rain sequel. That's also bad. The Purple Rain sequel is Graffiti Bridge. Under the Cherry yes. Moon is bad as well. <laughs> uh, and then the, uh, the Elephant Man, which I like. Oh, that's odd, though, to throw that in there. It, but, it's oh, odd. Okay. It's wait, odd. Oh, wait. wait, no, it's not. It is actually not because <laughs> it was rumored that Michael Jackson bought and owned the Bones. <laughs> Of the Elephant Man. I had the same little thing as you when I saw that. I was like, that's weird. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> like, it's still weird, but it's like, oh, it makes sense, which is a weird thing to say. Wait, uh, then he should have, like, where's his ape movie? Because, like, what about Bubbles? Like, where's the, the Bubbles, Bubbles movie? movie? <laughs> oh, my God. So, Mike, you already shared that you actually saw this live in the theme park. I want to dive into that. Um a bit later, because that's amazing. You and I are attacking this from two ends. Like, this is me just learning that it existed, that this is you as a kid of the 80s watching this fresh um, in the boom of all these things. Um, I do, I know we're like way into the podcast, but we we do have to do this now. Michael Jackson is an incredibly polarizing figure. Michael Jackson, you know, makes a lot of people uncomfortable and probably for good reason, right? Like we're not here to dive into that, but that's definitely something that'll color everything we talk about. Um, it is just, so just full disclosure. So full disclaimer on that, we are aware of the allegations um, and there are people who still go to bet hard for Michael Jackson. And there are still people who, will not consume any of his media. And I totally understand both sides of it. You know, it is your personal preference. We are here from a Francis Ford Coppola point of view. We're here for the the fact that he is the director of Captain EO. We're going to talk a lot of Michael Jackson today, but that's not, you know, really for Michael Jackson reasons. But we cannot talk this film without mentioning Michael Jackson. So just wanted to put that out there. And Mike, I'll, I'll ask you this because, again, you are more someone who was cognizant in the 80s when I was just a little baby. I remember it in the early 90s, but you were around for the beginning of it. Just yep. for perspective, if a 17-year-old is listening today or some, you know, a high schooler who's really into film, really into Coppola, tunes into this podcast and is like, oh, Captain Neo, blah, 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 you know all this. And like, oh, Michael Jackson, obviously they're familiar with him. But can you explain in like 30 seconds how big Michael Jackson was at this moment here in 1986? No. 
<laughs> it would take more than 30 seconds to fully explain like how popular Michael Jackson was. Like it is so hard to kind of comprehend looking back now how like okay let's just put it he's so big that it's still hard for me to believe like the allegations of what he's done you know i'm not saying i don't believe him but like it's just so like he was so kind of like ingrained in people's consciousness as a certain type of thing right like it was he was so perfectly marketed to that generation right the the pepsi generation um <laughs> the the sort of the consumer generation like reagan's america where like all bets were off like go and market towards children as hard as possible through every means possible so like that was happening and like it was it was really brainwashing i think looking back on it it was out of control how hard um america the world promoted michael jackson and look because like all we knew about him at the time, all I knew as a kid were two things. I knew one, I really liked his music. And two, he came from the Jackson five, right? So like he was a kid who was, who grew up like singing also. So he had all these other songs as well. Uh, later, uh, before I learned about like what he would come to do, I learned that he was horribly abused as a kid, you know? So like all of these things were like coloring my vision of him. And so they just drilled it into your head that he could never be anything but like this harmless person, you know? So, which makes it even more horrible for what actually ended up happening, you know, with him and everything. But the image was everything in the eighties and it wasn't just him, but he was like the pinnacle of that. He's definitely in the top five most famous people who have ever lived in terms of in their day, if they walked anywhere in the planet he couldn't yeah you couldn't right so like it would cause chaos right like chaos you'd have to shut down countries when he'd like go to japan right they like shut down japan because he was having concerts look if julius caesar was dropped in japan in his era no one would know who he was right that was not the case (laughs) Um, back to ancient rome they they don't think about the roman empire often (laughs) (laughs) that was not the case with michael jackson the best comp today and you know bear with me is you know and it's not even close to that level but is taylor swift right like taylor swift is the most recognizable person right on the planet right now um anything taylor swift does supersedes the media that you know, she's a part of, right? Like, best example is NFL is the most consumed sport here. She's dating Travis Kelsey. She shows, she shows up to these stadiums and she takes the broadcast away from the game. That's how, mm-hmm. that's how like, important Taylor Swift is today. But I'll put it this way, Mike, and I know you're going to agree. Michael Jackson was so much bigger than Taylor Swift is today. He could not even enter a stadium and watch yeah. a game. The game would stop. People would stop watching and they would look at where Michael Jackson was to the point we're going to talk about this premiere a lot today. He could not even attend the premiere because yeah. it would have been too much of a madhouse. From all accounts, he wanted to, but he had to take a break. I was thinking for a little bit about that song when he transitioned to that new Jack Swing era. He had a song called like Leave Me Alone. And it was just about yeah. like, you know, how... The press and everyone in the world was just shrinking, just shrinking on him, right? Like this is somebody who any every single move he did was analyzed and scrutinized. Um, and 
again, say what you want about him. This is not defending him as a person. But in terms of talent, this is a man who was writing his songs, was choreographing, more importantly, maybe a top five dancer of all time in that genre. Like, we can't overlook how talented he was and how popular he was in the era. And again, I only bring it up because it's going to color everything we talk about today. Yes. Now, having said all that, I will wholeheartedly and honestly say that he's a terrible actor. Like He did not act a lot. And there is a big reason. And he wanted to be in a lot of stuff throughout the years. And people, directors said no to him <laughs> all the time. From what I understand, you know, of all the things he is, he's not an actor. I'll just say that. A hundred percent, Mike. Unfortunately, if, you know, he's so talented at dancing, he's so talented at singing, he is not talented at acting. So here's how our discussion is going to go. I'm going to get into some production notes. Then we're going to talk about how we consume this and some of the other media we consumed and any other thoughts. Believe right. it or not, this whole thing came to be because it was Michael Jackson's idea. Wait, so so was his idea Captain EO or was his idea, hey, I want to do something at Disney like I want to ride? You know, like I, there should be a Michael Jackson event at Disney and like that guy can be part of the theme park. Or was he like, I've got this idea for Captain EO? You know, neither because he <laughs> then what? he really wants to be in movies at this time. He knows he's conquered the music world. He's conquered the dancing world. He did Thriller, which is amazing. OK, even today you watch Thriller and it's amazing. Yeah. And we, and you know, we're around Halloween. This is when it gets aired a lot. It is so good. And as you mentioned, that's John Landis, right? He is Thinking about concept for his albums, he's thinking about, like, he's in The Wiz, he's in little things here or there, but he also wants to do these movies, he loves doing it, so he, through his people, shoots a message to Disney and says, hey, essentially, he wants to be the next Disney star. This is a point where Michael Eisner has taken over Disney because Disney is down in the dumps, nobody's going to the theme parks, the movies aren't doing well. They're not really making many new ones at this point. No, they say Disney's struggling now. Disney's struggling struggle now is an embarrassment of riches. Disney's struggle now is that they're spending way too much money on projects that aren't making money. That's not the Disney struggle this time. The Disney struggle this time is like, holy shit, let's not kill this company. <laughs> no, like, yeah, I think I was the only one that saw Oliver and company in theaters. <laughs> Does anyone even remember that? Billy, Billy Joel, Joel yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Michael Eisner takes over, and Michael Eisner is a Hollywood studio executive. He's just worked with George Lucas, actually, yep. uh, with Indiana Jones and Spielberg, yeah. obviously. And this is a new approach for Disney. Disney has not really, believe it or not, it sounds weird, but Disney has not done things very Hollywood up to this point. Disney has done things their own way, but they turned to Michael Eisner to sort of change that direction. Michael Jackson doesn't know, he doesn't know Michael Eisner from anyone, right? Like, yeah, he's like, dear Walt Disney. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Jackson, huge Disney fan. We know that he'll build Neverland Ranch. He sees himself as Peter Pan. Um, he really does at times, right? He loves Disney, and he thinks that they can make a good collaboration. Eisner is 
eyes light up when he hears that Michael Jackson, the biggest star on the planet, is interested in working with them. He says, cha-ching, cha-ching. Yes. And it's his idea to be like, and he probably knows Michael Jackson, not the greatest actor. It's his idea to be like, hey, instead of a movie, let's make this a theme park thing. Because if you put Michael Jackson's name on anything, people will flock there. And he knows that if they turn this into a theme park ride... It's going to revive the theme parks a bit, or like at least that's his yeah. vision, right? And, and and Disney's live action slate at the time is not that hot. You know, they're still making like Herbie the Love Bug movies and like sequels to Freaky Friday and stuff. So like it's not great either. And it never really was to that point that Disney's live action movies were were all that. Not their bread and butter is animation. So like, what what were you going to do? Like. Maybe that would have been the way to go, do an animated movie where Michael Jackson voiced the main character. But Bob Eisner, nope, his eyes were too wide. And he's like, we could do a thing that people are going to have to, we could get them at the door, you know, big time. You're so right, Mike. Just for perspective, in 86, the animated movie that year, The Great Mouse Detective, which is underrated, but not considered a classic. And then movies like... it's a Sherlock Holmes, basically. It's Sherlock Holmes, the mouse. And movies like Flight of the Navigator, um, there's a movie called A Fighting Choice, right? Like, it's not Parent Trap 2, as you mentioned, right? It, this is not the Disney we think of today. Go on your Disney Plus, search the year 1986, you'll be like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so Michael Eisner sees dollar signs. He convinces Michael Jackson Let's do this as a ride. We'll talk about movies later. Let's figure out what we want to do. So, Michael, what do you want to do? And Michael says, Peter Pan. I think that I could do something where I'm like sort of like a Peter Pan character and I could fight a Captain Hook. I'm not going to do the voice when I do this, by the way. Uh, I could fight a Captain Thank Hook. Thank you. And he's like, I want John Landis to direct. We just did a really great thing with him. Let's Let's try to get this done. Apparently, Landis was not available. I forgot what he was working on. Maybe it was Twilight Zone. Oh, he might have had like, <laughs> bigger problems, yes. bigger fish to fry at this point, but I don't know. So Michael says, let's get Steven Spielberg involved. Spielberg is doing the color purple, and he says he's not interested. So Disney says, we got to get this done. So they talk to somebody who is on the Disney property because Eisner, he's not putting all his eggs in one basket. He has contacted his old friend, George Lucas, and he says, George, we got some problems at Disney World. Here's a boatload of cash. Figure some shit out here. What properties can you put here? So George says, all right, let's, we'll do a Star Wars thing. And this becomes, and I know, Mike, I know you've been on this ride. This becomes Star Tours. You know Star awesome Tours? Awesome ride. I awesome. Star Tours. Yeah. Kid. <laughs> Wasn't that, that was at Disney MGM. Mm-hmm. Which was a little later, and I didn't get there. Uh, the la- my last trip down there to Florida when I was fifteen, uh, and I remember I was there with one of my brothers, and we went on that ride like three times in a row because <laughs> there was no line, and it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so Star Tours um, was the Star Wars ride, and Eisner didn't really care what it was. He was just like Lucas do Star Wars, 
And he, he gave Lucas carte blanche to design some stuff for the park. Lucas would also go on to do the Indiana Jones stage show. Fun spectacular. Yeah, that was awesome. awesome. At least as a kid. I don't know. So good. Maybe it'll ruin it for me if I watch it today. But like, That's what I learned what a plant in the audience was. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> because they, they called a guy out in the audience to be participant. And then like he turns out to be an awesome at like the stunts and stuff. And then like, well, he was an actor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so Lucas is fully invested at the time in this. And so he goes to Lucas and says, Lucas, can you direct this thing for Michael Jackson? And, and apparently Lucas says, let me see what I can do, but I'm really busy with Star Tours. He's struggling with Star Tours, believe it or not. So he calls Uncle Francis. Remember, this is 1986, Uncle Francis. What is he doing in 86? This is not the height of Uncle Francis' time. Let's see. No, he's making this, he's, he's into smaller things at this point, right? This is like, Around that time. And Michael Jackson is convinced because basically they're like, hey, George Lucas is going to produce. And he's gotten the director of The Godfather to direct you. And Michael Jackson's like, okay, I'll do this. And they say one more thing, Michael. Because Eisner looks at the park and he thinks of this Peter Pan adventure. You know, it was supposed to be like a Peter Pan saving the society with dance. A, bu- a bunch of children. <laughs> yeah, children. <laughs> stuff. And he, Eisner looks at the park of Disneyland and he's like, okay, so we're going to build for the first time in history, and I haven't fact-checked this, but this is what Eisner says, we're going to build for the first time in history a theater specific to the movie that we're showing. And he only sees one place for this, and it's Tomorrowland. And he's like, a Peter Pan show is not going to work in Tomorrowland. Can we future this up? And he says that to Lucas, and they say, and Lucas is like, hey, that's my bag. You know, I'll do that. So they can- Actually, his bag is a long time ago in <laughs> a galaxy far, far away. But no, I, I, I take your point. Yeah. It's so weird. It's like, just, it's like, hey, George, you're already working on a Star Wars thing, right? Like, let's just, I think Eisner was kind of like, maybe if we could just shift that over here and move this over there. Yeah. Combine the two. So he definitely doesn't want to combine because he wants more, not less. And it's very clear that Eisner's vision is, what can I market? He doesn't really care what it is. That's what I, I'm speaking for him now, but this is obvious to me. He says, can I market that the producer of Star Wars, the director of The Godfather, and Michael freaking Jackson are doing a project together for Disney World? Absolutely, yes. Hell yeah. I can market this. We'll build our own theater. It was $23 million in budget for a 17 minute movie in that era. That's $23 million in the mid 80s. What? They weren't making full length movies for that price in the 80s. (laughs) What the hell? This was blank check shit. And from a Coppola point of view, I read a lot of people on what they've thought about this in terms of Coppola's involvement. And it's pretty obvious at the time, he's not doing well, and he is, this is a sell your soul move, right? Like, this is something, I'm not saying he's not enjoying it, but by all accounts, he was paid handsomely, his friend got him the gig. I have some disappointing news for you, Mike, about how the shoots went, right? No, I think I have a a clue. (laughs) I've heard and seen some of the behind the scenes stuff. Let me just... Comment real quickly on what we just, what you just said. So Eisner basically took the Roger Corman route and he was like, it doesn't matter what we make. Okay. (laughs) People, people are going to come because it has Michael Jackson, George Lucas, and Francis Ford Coppola on the marquee. And that 
is okay if you're Roger Corman and you're playing with like a couple thousand dollars, right? <laughs> and if it doesn't work out, it's not that bad because you've sold the overseas, you've pre-sold rights overseas and made your money back before the movie's even made because <laughs> he's a savvy businessman. But this is Disney we're talking about in the slum, right? They're slumping right now. And they're going to spend over like almost $30 million on this piece of crap. Like that is just mind blowing. Like even to this day still, this is like insanity. Like there needs to be a big documentary about this one day, not just like some YouTube video that's 10 minutes long. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Like this is Get on it, Netflix. This is so fascinating to me. So fascinating. Because like, where's the money go? Michael Jackson get first. Francis second, George third, and then the rest goes to the sets, the designers, like all that stuff. And Mike, I looked this up. That $23 million does not count the theater and all setting up the ride. We are just talking about just the film. They had to build not just one theater, Brian, but two. Two. two one on each, one two, on each coast. And then eventually. So, around the world. Around the world. <laughs> we'll get there. So I, we both love Uncle Francis. We just have to be honest. Mike, I'm sorry. This was a cash grab. Not that he didn't put his full effort in, but this, to me, was a cash grab. Because apparently... So we both watched a lot of behind-the-scenes. Apparently a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff is not as accurate. Oh, it's staged. You're kidding. It's a lot, staged. A lot Whoopi of Goldberg it is. Goldberg lied to me. <laughs> yeah. One of them is Whoopi Goldberg. I didn't watch that one. I watched another one, but we'll talk about it. Apparently... Lucas was so focused on Star Tours. He gets Coppola there. He's there on like day one and he's like, Francis, do your thing. And if you watch the behind the scenes, Francis is pretty, he looks happy. He's pretty involved. Another guy who's really instrumental in this is uh, a character named Rusty Lamarande. You look him up. He's got a very interesting career as well. Between Lucas, Francis, and this dude, Rusty, they write a script, they put it together. If you read the script or listen to what they're saying, it doesn't make sense. Like in one line, it's like, he's the most trusted guy in the fleet, Captain Neo. And then the next line will be like, you know, sort of like, it looks like, let's take a chance. I'm a rookie here. I got to prove myself, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, he's got an impeccable track record. Let's send him. And then he's like, if I screw up one more time, they're going to candy. I didn't, I didn't mean to do the, I'm doing Captain EO, not Michael Jackson. Yes, <laughs> but you're so right. It makes you know it makes zero sense. It is just sort of like a Star Wars ripoff here. Everything is though it's condensed though. Like it's 17 minutes, so it's like every part of a movie you need, but it's so confusing because it just like blows through it. It's 17 minutes, so like there's exposition, there's setup, there's a second act, there's there's a climax and everything, but it all is rapid fire. And it comes across as like incoherent, you know, because they're saying one thing and before, as soon as you're trying to catch up, they're onto something two things later and you're like, where am I? And then it's over. <laughs> it's clear that like, so in, even in the um, YouTube video, you could see like what was intended to be 3D. It's clear that it was more a sensual experience. Oh, that's a bad mm. thing to say. Bad word, I feel like. But, you know, like a sensory, sensory. sensory experience. <laughs> and more of a sensory experience than it was, like, you're not sitting in that theater looking for plot, really. You, yeah, like, it's a, it's supposed to be part ride. So Lucas, again, he's there at the beginning. Coppola does the direction. He shoots from the script. Michael Jackson uh, has the music. Michael Jackson has the choreography. They're putting it all together. Eisner's not there either. And they have, you know, their basic 
shots ready. Coppola looks, I mean, again, if you look at the behind the scenes, it looks like he's having a lot of fun. But once it's done, he sails his ass out of there. He is not involved with the post-production. Lucas doesn't even really want to get involved with the post-production. Shocking, shocking. They show the dailies to Eisner and company, Katzenberg, the whole gang. And they're like, what the literal fuck is this? (laughs) <laughs> one of the complaints is there's too much crotch gyrations oh well that was just a general complaint about michael jackson in general <laughs> but but this thing looks like it was shot through dirt like it's just ugly you know like there's like you look at star wars made at the same time with like much less budget and he did he did like gorgeous stuff with special effects i mean you can't tell me they didn't have the money or well, like resources and they had they had Luke that's like, hey George, yeah, sure, borrow whatever you need from my warehouse at ILM. Sure, take it. You know, it looks like they I think the money went here to the vineyard because I don't see a lot of couple of yeah. money. Well <laughs> that's the other thing. I, I'm a little dismayed to hear that because like whatever whatever the conditions and the circumstances are, you're there working for Disney with which is like something he probably wanted to do his entire life. You know, hey, I'll give it Disney, the big D, like the mouse, you know, like let's do this. And Michael Jackson, like I would try to be as engaged with this as possible from beginning to end with your names on it. So, like, I'm shocked he did not get into that edit bay. But I just don't minute. think what, that's what he was signed up for. But it does, But that's the thing. Like, it, he's Coppola. Like, he takes over everything he does, right? So, like, it's shocking to me that he didn't see this going the wrong way and being like, hold on, page one rewrite. I need time. Let me do this my way. You know, like, yada, yada, yada. Call Bob Evans. I think he knew like, that he was sort of out of his league in terms of, like, the 3D stuff and the, and the effects stuff, that that wasn't really his thing. I'm not saying he but, did it because of laziness. I think it's George... Basically getting him a job to just, you know, be there on set, babysit Michael Jackson. Again, you watch the behind the scenes footage. He's not mailing it in. He's happy to be there. He's working really hard. But this is just contract work for Francis, which is rare for him. But to me, it feels like contract work for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another thing they had an issue with was Michael Jackson's voice. They were like, we, they thought he was going to act more and be like, yeah, I'm the, I'm Captain EO. But no, he was like, I'm Captain EO, you know? <laughs> they, yeah, no, he's he's just Michael Jack. Like, he's not an actor. <laughs> like, get that straight, people. <laughs> um, and by the way, I need to cite, there's so many great YouTube videos that I mentioned earlier. Um, Defunct Land was one I watched. Um, you sent me one. I forgot what it was called. Uh, Secret Galaxy. Secret Galaxy. Watch those if yeah. you want more of the behind the scenes. If you want more of the behind the scenes stuff, I got a lot of information from there. I got a lot of information from my research. But basically, they, uh, from what I understand, they go to Lucas and they say, we have already announced that we're opening this ride soon. And this is crap. What can you do with this? <laughs> so another group that was pissed were the Imagineers at Disney because Lucas sort of cut them oh, out. Yeah. He had Coppola... And Michael Jackson do this, and then he goes to the Imagineers like, "Hey, make this into a ride." And they're like, "What? What are you giving us? What the hell can, <laughs> can we do? Not a ride, but you know, what I mean? like like a show, like an experience. experience. Yeah, like yeah. turn this, make this something." So Coppola, without telling them, takes it to ILM, reshoots a lot of the effects stuff at ILM, and the Imagineers are also pissed because they're like, "Why are we here?" <laughs> you know, um, yeah, brings footage back. The Imagineers put stuff in. Basically, they know they have a date that they have to have this. And Eisner and Disney are like, all right, look, just keep the voice in. We're not going to overdub it because people were... Oh, this is another fact I loved reading. 
people were afraid to tell Michael Jackson, hey, could you overdub this with a more manly voice? So they ended up not mm. telling him. They didn't cut out the, the crotch gyrations. It would have been so awkward to have watched this and basically had like a voiceover in the vein of the end of Pee-wee's Big Adventure where Pee-wee the character is playing the bellhop in his own movie and they overdub Pee-wee's voice as like, <laughs> Paging Mr. Herman, Mr. Herman, you have a telephone call at the front desk. That would be like the same thing. Like it would be, it would be uproarious. People would not accept that. Michael Jackson sounded like anything but Michael Jackson. You expect him to sound like, like that. Like that to me is not an issue at all. Someone's like the tenor of someone's voice. Well, Eisner, you know? I mean, I think you're right, because Eisner ultimately is like, he leans, again, this is me speculating, but it's pretty obvious. He's mm-hmm. like, listen, the reason we're doing this, we have Michael Jackson, we're going to heavily promote uh, Francis, who's in on the promotion, we're going to promote Lucas, we're going to promote all this. We're hoping people will show, and it's not going to be on the quality of the film. We're going to just throw a huge Hollywood blowout for the premiere. We're going to just kick some ass. And hopefully people show up for this, and it's not a boondoggle. And this is where we'll get into the premiere. Mike, you and I both watched the premiere, the hour-long premiere, which is on YouTube. Holy shit. Uh, I could I could just watch another hour of them announcing who was there. <gasps> what? Like, they, they brought everyone in Hollywood. The hosts are Patrick Duffy, and he's making Dallas jokes the whole time, and Justine Bateman. And <laughs> weird chemistry. I don't know. I don't really want to talk about that right now. But it is very interesting. Oh. Brian, if 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 I thought Captain EO was bad, like this is a this is an article of cursed media. Like this video, this event is haunted, and that's not just because of all the dead celebrities that are there. <laughs> but like you have, I mean. Okay, there's something online that's kind of cool called the SCP Foundation. It's like this fictional story going on online. It's called uh, SCP Secure, Contain, Protect. And it's about this organization that goes around the world finding monsters and containing them and this and that. And in it, there's like these haunted videotapes or like a haunted channel on television or something like that. And like this feels like if you watch this like more than two or three times like you're gonna get sucked into it and you're forever gonna be at this event as like one of the bystanders kind of like in the shining where he gets sucked into the picture at the end of the movie you know like it's just so eerie to watch this piece of media it's so eerie i'm gonna go through it quickly but what it is is at disneyland in california and they they have a parade and there's disney characters and they have a Pretty badass concert. It has Belinda Carlisle, Moody Blues, Robert Palmer, and Starship. Starship, <laughs> but not performing We Built This City. They're like, that was Starship with, with We Built This City. Now here's their slow-ass song no one likes. People like that. What was it called? I, know that's, I mean, I don't really like Starship, but um, <laughs> that was a popular song they did, but it wasn't We Built the City, right? So we already mentioned this, but Michael Jackson is not there. He's too afraid yeah. of the crowds. And you understand at the time, like, it would have been a mob scene. It already is a mob scene with this crowd. Like, yeah. But they've it's clearly fun. paid a lot of celebrities to be there. Francis is there. Lucas is there. Um, you know, we'll get into their chapters, of course. But um, just my incomplete list. We'll get into the big one. But Charles Bronson is there. Dolph Lundgren. John Stamos. 
Paul Rodriguez, Sissy Spacek, your favorite, what's his name? Yakov Smirnov? You know, like Yakov Smirnov was there. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Soleil Moonfry. Al there's a lot of Alf promos if you watch the- <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah, if you watch the with the commercials. Yeah. Alf premiering tomorrow. <laughs> Apparently the Alf premiere was also on ABC around this time. Uh Bruce Jenner, which you know you probably know today. Um and then of course Angelica Houston. Um, who's obviously Jack Nicholson's with her. Jack Nicholson's they were dating. But the one that sticks out the most is OJ Simpson with Nicole Brown Simpson in a car together and wild stuff. Oof, it's dark. And and later he's interviewed. Yeah. Yeah. And he says something I can't remember exactly what he said, but he's like seemed very kind of caught off guard and uh disoriented if you ask me (laughs) but you should watch it if you're a francis fan too because there's totally like a staged francis interview um where they're like francis how'd you make it and he's like well this is how i made it and there's like a little there's like a little featurette that shows a lot of good francis stuff look he's clearly happy to be there again i don't want it to come out here that he didn't want to do this or anything like that right i just want to make it clear that this is not in the pantheon of great Francis films because no. he's he's contracted here to be the director, which is an awesome little piece of history. But it's not. This is more a Lucas yeah. project than a Francis project. Would you say that? Yeah, I would even say like this is just one of those. He's directed by name almost. I mean, I'm sure. Look, we see him directing. I'm sure he went in there and he did his thing. But but like. There's so many hands like this is a giraffe, you know, like this is a horse by committee. This is this is not just Uncle Francis here. <laughs> he did his thing, but everyone else did their thing, too. And you can see there's a lot of clash of ideas. There's a lot of clash of like sensibilities. There's a lot of clash of tone. The only thing really good is like the music, right? Like another part of me is a good song. Um, the other song that's exclusive to this movie is pretty good. I don't really remember much. We of it, are here but that to change the world. We, yeah, we're here to change the world. The, the only place it, it worked was where it really mattered, which was the music video part of it, which is the parts we were going to snip and give to MTV to play as a music video anyway. Look, if you take this as just bad, which will come later, obviously, with Scorsese, but... Uh, thriller. If this is just an extended Moonwalker, yeah. If this is just an extended silly music video thing, yeah, great. Like, and that's what it should be. Don't take this as a film. Uh, by the way, the score is actually considered very good. James Horner did it. Who did Titanic and, and Aliens and Braveheart and stuff like that. Like, he is an amazing, an amazing composer. So, they- well, look, I don't. You never get the sense that no one's trying. You know, like you, you just get the sense that everyone's on the on a different page. Like they're reading the same book, but they're all on different pages here. You know, and it does. It feels like people. It feels like a struggle for for control. It feels like a, a struggle for like ideas and like you know how this should be played out. And it, it almost feels like Michael Jackson is undirector, undirectable. You know, like you can almost be just like Michael, like angrier angrier and you probably get like the same performance and you go okay michael's scared more scared and it's like he gives you the angry performance you know it just feels like he was probably hard to direct because he's not used to that like you know he's such a entity and he's probably so used to being in control with the choreography and and all that kind of again i'm just speculating from what i i saw and stuff but this this the movie is frustrating to watch the 
The music video is frustrating to watch. I can only imagine it must have been very hard to make. And I have an interesting take on that in terms of a Coppola perspective, right? When I think about Coppola's work, he did not really work, and with the exception of Brando, I'll say, he did not really work with many people who were bigger than him at the time, right? Like when he was a young up-and-coming director, right. he did a lot of Corman stuff, not huge cast. Like mm. when we do um, the movie with Fred Astaire, that's like where he, definitely Fred Astaire is bigger than his name on the marquee. Um, in The Godfather, the for the first one, it's really just Brando. And then when we talk Apocalypse yeah. Now, he has a problem with Brando, right? Like I don't know... If I think Coppola likes when everyone's on the same page, when it feels like a theater and everyone's collaborating. I don't think Coppola works well when there's someone on set who thinks they're bigger than the production. And Michael Jackson, yeah. I'm not blaming him for thinking he's bigger than the production because he is bigger than the production, right? I don't know if Coppola was able to have a firm hand on Michael Jackson or he cared to have a firm hand on Michael Jackson, right? My point is, I don't think it's easy to direct Michael Jackson in this era. Yeah. No, I think the issues Eisner was just, he got too ahead of himself. Like, he should have just stopped with Michael Jackson. He didn't need to go then to George Lucas and Francis Ford Coppola, right? Like, you have the name, just stick with, you know, like, you could get you get anybody to direct Michael Jackson. It doesn't matter who it is, because like I said, you're going to get a certain performance no matter what you tell them and what's going on and stuff. So, like, whether it be Francis Ford Coppola or freaking John Waters, you know, like, I... <laughs> No, he might get a he might get a bit of a different rise out of Michael Jackson. Not a, but like you, you know, my point is like, just stick with MJ. You don't need to bring in other names, okay? Like you just stick with him, and then you get some hack in who you can control and get to do it the way you want to. Instead of Coppola coming in being like, okay, like I'm gonna strive for realism or whatever, you know, like we're gonna make this raw or like whatever he came in doing, uh, because he definitely didn't come in to make like a children's film because this doesn't, this doesn't have that childlike wonder and sensibility that it needed. You know, I'll go back to Taylor Swift. I'm assuming you're not a Swifty Mike, but uh, I have no objection to her, but like, yeah, it's not really. So she's directed a couple of her own music videos now and they're actually great, but you know why? Because she knows her vision and it's, I hate to say it, but it's just a music video. She knows what she's doing. She knows what she needs to put there at the time, they weren't really saying, hey, musician, direct this. But I would argue Michael Jackson probably would have done a better job directing it himself. As weird as that sounds. No, I think that's what I was getting at. Right? Yeah. Right? Like, And it's not that, like, oh, I would I'd much prefer friends for a couple of directing anything than Michael Jackson. But a single unified vision of what it was would have served the project better than all these names thrown on. But, you know, Eisner was hedging his bets. It's as simple as that. Like, George Lucas makes sense to me, you know, like, on a certain level. He did Star Wars. He knows how to work with, like, things in suits. He knows how to work with puppets. Like, it feels very Disney. His movies feel like, you know, rides, right? He makes, uh, it looks like you're walking through a theme, but freaking Star Wars is a theme park now. It makes sense to me, you know. You don't necessarily... He, he doesn't like directing, so you don't want him to direct it. So producing is good. You get his vibe. You get Star Wars from him, right? But, like, 
that's all you need. Like Francis's sensibilities at the time are not Disney, you know, like it's so odd that they would come to him. Like outsiders and Rumblefish are as close to like teen stuff. He's probably worked on. And like, even that is so far removed from like, those guys aren't watching Disney movies in those, in those films, you know, like the outsiders, you know, one of them's wearing a Mickey Mouse shirt. Okay. But like, that's as far as it goes. Um, <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> so like, it, it just seems so weird that they call upon him for anything more than brand recognition. And like his brand just doesn't belong over there. At the, he didn't make Jack yet. He hasn't made a, a children's film. Maybe he's, has he made New York stories. Is that what Disney is basing this on? His one segment that he co-wrote with his daughter. Like, uh, so he knows Disney. It just seems so odd. Like, the, and again, I would, I want to watch everything he does and I want him to make more stuff, but it just, I kind of wish he wasn't involved in this one. You know, it just doesn't seem like a Uncle Francis vibe. I don't wish that because I love talking about this film with you. But in terms of like the purity <laughs> of his work, yeah, <laughs> I, I get where you're coming from. So um, just more on, on what happens here. They throw this big premiere that we both watched. And there's a lot of people there. And it actually, it actually becomes a huge success. The critics, like the movie critics, I don't know why they attended this. But like Ebert? They hate this movie they think it's terrible um they're not happy it is it is it is objectionably bad but the theme park goers the kids who are here they love yep. this this becomes a little huge mike manzi loved it <laughs> it becomes a huge hit of her oh by the way you sent me a photo of i guess you were at disney world and it was in front of like a fake Jenko olive oil company or something like that oh, so that's that was when i was 15 that's my my brother and my dad and that was at universal studios oh yes duh yeah that makes sense that was at Universal, and uh, yeah, they had the set of The Godfather. And at the time, I was like, "Why do you want a picture in the front of this?" And then like, <laughs> now <"Just> like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so this becomes a super successful ride. It actually goes to every single Disney World they built, except I think the China one, because I think it was too mm. late. But it goes to Tokyo, it goes to Euro Disney, mm-hmm. and it's a huge success. So I never saw it at Disney World. By the time I get to Disney World, I think I missed it by a year, my first time at Disney World. Because oh, wow. Okay. by the time I get to Disney World as a kid, it's been replaced by the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, which, okay, yeah, because it wasn't there when I went my last time. So I think I was I was there twice in my single digits, you know, like probably like five and seven or something like that. And then uh, 15, and that was it. So like... Uh, it wasn't there when I went back and I was 15. I think we looked for it. I think it was gone. So it actually returned. This I didn't even know. Yeah, I heard this, right? Yeah, it had a re- revival. <laughs> After Michael Jackson passed away in 2010, they closed the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and reopened the all the theaters to re-air Captain EO. And they did that for five years. Whoa, that seems like a lot. It wasn't just like a one-off thing or six months or whatever. Five years until like certain allegations came out about Michael Jackson and they quietly closed it again. But it's like, why this is so bad? Like, is it just because it's like, oh, we got it. It's got Michael Jackson in it. He's passed away. Like, people will pay to see it. Yeah. Like... (laughs) Just profiting off of a dead guy. <laughs> like, it's as simple as this that. thing that we hated so much. Like, let's trot it out here. It's like basically the worst thing this guy's ever done is. I mean, oh, sorry. I mean, like, 
in, in entertainment, in his entertainment, like this is the worst thing he's produced, uh, like entertainment wise, but by far not the worst thing that he's done in we his life, allegedly, allegedly. allegedly. Uh, regardless. Uh, you know what I'm saying? It's just, yeah. Uh, it's just why, because there was even, even when he, his, the way he died was so like, you know, the drugs and, and everything, like there, there was sort of already like a stain on his name by the time before he passed away, you know? Uh, so like, why do this at all? It was so bizarre. It's like, we're bringing out Captain Eo. Look, when he died, he was hot again and they, they took advantage of it. There's no way around it. Um, I'm, again, I'm surprised it lasted five years because yeah, when he dies, the first time I heard of fentanyl, <laughs> little Mike Manzi in the eighties, this is cool too. I'm not sure if like a little kid in 2000, and 13 is like oh a michael jackson thing with you know no, especially not. with the puppetry here and all that um i don't think I, I don't know whatever but it is a classic disney ride by the way it only aired once in the not and youtube aside it only officially aired once in the non-ride form oh it did? in 1996 for whatever reason they aired it on mtv in a 2d version just once oh man that must be what we watched on YouTube. Someone probably ripped it in at the time. Yeah, I'm assuming. I'm assuming that's how they got it there. Because again, it's not like it's like the Kramer bootleg from the ride, right? Like it's legitimately, <laughs> uh, you know, a pressing of it. So, oh wait, my copy had Elaine dancing at the end of it. <laughs> <Are you> sure. <laughs> oh man. So that's kind of the history of Captain EO. A couple other aspects we did not discuss. First, it's the cast. Obviously, Michael Jackson is Captain EO. Uh, we already mentioned the legendary Angelica Houston is the supreme leader. Five hours a day on the makeup. And I know today they have longer makeup shoots. But for something that's 17 minutes long, that's a lot of effort. She was actually not the original choice. Shelley Duvall was cast to be the supreme leader. And once she heard about the five hours a day on the makeup, she was like, yeah, I'm not going to do this. So they got Angelica Houston. Damn, how many days was her shooting schedule? One day? No, apparently, like, uh, I believe 16 or 17 days. I looked this up. What? <laughs> to shoot Angelica Houston stuff? I could do that in a day. Well, they did not. It's so. all She's all in her own shots. Like, she doesn't interact with anybody until she's non-spider-cyborg. Lady. I don't know what to tell you, Mike. Uh, the other person who, right. who was credited was an actor named Dick Sean, who's the commander who speaks to right. to Michael Jackson. Um, you got Michael Jackson's dancers here and other people there. Um, Dick Sean, though, is pretty famous back in the day. He's a legendary actor. He's in It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, the original producers. Um, so just want to give him a shout out. But... I want to talk about really the characters on Captain EO's crew, which are all Muppets. I don't know if they're officially Muppets. Well, they're, they're Muppets, and then there's there's three really big name little people acting in this movie. Uh, first and foremost, I think it's Tony Cox, who everyone would recognize from tons of stuff. He's done a lot of horror stuff too, but I believe Deb, Debbie Lee Carrington was in Total Recall. She was. The, the little person prostitute in Mars bar, at the Mars bar, yeah. I think. And then Cindy Sorensen. I, I also recognize all of them. Speaking of Seinfeld, uh, there was a, there's a character, Mickey, who's a little person in Seinfeld. And I believe these are all these little people as well. were were in episodes of Seinfeld too, but I, I highly recognized all three of them uh, from their photos. 
it's just it's kind of too bad that they were underneath uh, two of them were playing like the orange geek and one of them was playing the blue elephant. And I wanted to mention that specifically because they are not credited in the credits, which is really oh, effed up. Bastard. That's messed up. Specifically Tony Cox, because he has an illustrious yeah. career. He, I know he was in Willow. He was in, uh, he was in Ewok and Return of the Jedi. Yeah. But see in, um, the one with Bernie Mac and, um, Billy Bob. Yeah. Bad Santa. Santa. Yeah. He's, he, bad Santa. You're, you're absolutely right. Like, he's super recognized for that one. So, um, you know, these are some legendary actors here. But Tony Cox played Hooter, if you remember Hooter, uh, which is the elephant. Debbie Lee yes. Carrington played Geek. And Cindy Sorensen also played Geek. Um, and then there's that character of Major Domo and Minor Domo. <laughs> Ugh, such a bad pun. <laughs> it's terrible. Uh, and the narrator was someone named Percy Rodriguez. Just look up these characters. I can't even describe them. Like you mentioned, one's like an elephant, one's a robot. Well, well like uh, you get it's 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 your typical like Star Wars menagerie. You you have a droid, you have two droids, but like instead of it's like what if R two D two like came out of C three PO? You have that. You have instead of an Ewok, you have the blue elephant guy. So like you have a little blue elephant running around these very furry bird-like creatures, you know, and then this little fairy thing that flies around too. So like, it's, uh, that's, that's very, that's very uh, Tinkerbelly, you know? So Michael Jackson's like, I want a Tinkerbell alien. (laughs) Um, But so like, it's, it's so, it just feels like ticking boxes or, or, or filling in the blanks. Like it just truly feels like, all right, like sound off Motley Crue. We, We, you know, we got, the weirdo, like the robot, uh, the loser, you know, like it just, <laughs> which would be Captain EO, right? He's like the big loser. He's like, guys, I don't, we can't screw up this mission. And they're like, we just want to have fun while we're doing what we're doing. And he's like, responsibility. I'll say it and again. Like, oh. like the fact that like Captain EO was the greatest captain we have. I gotta prove myself. Like it makes no sense. <laughs> I know that's my favorite thing. His record's impeccable. We can't screw up again, or we'll be fired. It makes no sense. Uh, regardless, right? Uh, the other aspect I want to talk about is merchandising. Merchandising with a real oh, money of oh, yeah, movie yeah, is yeah. made. Um, the merchandising for this was insane. Apparently, I want to get my hands on this. There was a comic book for this apparently at the time. Oh boy, I need that. <laughs> released in 1987 where you could use 3D glasses to look at it, huh. which is pretty cool. Uh, a lot of toys, a lot of plush. Again, you can find them on eBay. Uh, the characters they purposely made to be made into toys, which is obvious. You know what was very popular at the time? The, like that rainbow Mariah Carey almost t-shirt that michael jackson wears oh, that he's wearing? yeah the captain Ear yeah. shirt. apparently that was popular at the time well it's popular now i mean that would be come back like you know i could see that <laughs> oh man so like the marketing was huge in this i i think we've spent a lot of time in this uh, in terms of the background and stuff but in terms of the plot i mean what do you want to discuss here basically it's two pretty good songs michael jackson shows up on this planet dances a bit and rescue, rescues Angelica Houston, the Supreme Leader, from being, you know, a Borg and into like Okay. We could we could talk about that. Like, does he rescue somebody or does he basically arrive on this planet that's just doing its own thing? Okay. And 
like without any of their permission, like terraforms the entire planet and transforms everybody on it, you know, without asking, you know, he, okay. So they're, they're sent to this like dark world to deliver a gift to the leader. And it turns out that the gift is like this song that's going to turn her beautiful. But like, who is, who is he to say what's beautiful, right? Like what if, People like the big spider alien looking H.R. Giger thing. And like this planet was just doing fine on its own. Like, you know, it's just weird. Like that's a reading of it is that Captain EO shows up to planets and like turns everybody the way he thinks they should be. Now, it just so happens that it is for the better. (laughs) He sings a song and like, they were going to torture him for a hundred years. And instead, like they let him go. Uh, But it is just so bizarre to be like, his whole thing is like, I know you're beautiful on the inside. I I want people to see it on the outside too. Well, but like, isn't that saying beauty's like beauty's only skin deep. It's not right. Like who cares what you look like on the outside? I don't know. It's just such a mixed message. Like, I think that goes into how quickly it was written and how, again, like incoherent it is and everything. But I I had a very different perspective of what was happening as an adult than I did as a child. Because at the end of the day, I don't think anyone sat in the theater and really, really cared about the plot. It was just that Michael Jackson was there. You got two music videos. He's dancing. The dancing is amazing. And I'm not pro or anti the crotch gyrations, but that's Michael Jackson's trademark, right? He puts them in. It is so good. The the acting is not good. The plot does not make sense. Again, but if you think of it, sitting in that theater as a young person, even though, by the way, Eisner was like, we're going to make this for everybody, but... Um, sitting in that theater as a young person. Dude, I remember rides in Disney World. And this was, you know, at least six or seven years later. Like, that would blow my mind with the 4D stuff. Um, the second or third time I went to Disney World, there was a, a Bug's Life ride at the Animal Kingdom. So this is like late. This is like 96, 97. That just blew my mind because, like, when the hornets would come you'd feel the stings in the back of your chair you know what i mean the stink bug would come and you'd you'd smell it part of the appeal of disney world were these cutting edge rides and i can imagine captain eo was super cutting edge at the time like there's that part where that like fairy thing gets like you could see that it's like getting in your face at that point right this is the biggest star in the world in an immersive theater experience i get why this is a freaking cool ride and what is happening on screen you're not like, okay, look at Star Tours, which is an awesome ride. What's the plot of Star Tours? Do you even remember? Well, yes, I do know. You are uh, on your way to the Forest Moon of Endor to take a tour. You know, like you literally bought a ticket for a tour, but then you don't know it at the time. But the Battle of Endor is happening and you get sucked into it and you ride the trench of the Death Star and then you get like popped out of it and then you hit hyperdrive and you're away from the battle so like there's a bit of a little story but it is to be fair it is derivative though of return of the Jedi. oh yes 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 well maybe that's what they should have done here something a little more derivative instead of like overreach right (laughs) i think you're right though like maybe lucas didn't want to step on the toes of star tours but i think if they like again put it in the star wars universe and michael jackson just happened to be like yeah i'm from Alderaan, you know, like, 
<laughs> no, honestly, it should have just been like Star Wars presents Captain EO, and that would have solved so much of the confusion, you know, because you could just then aesthetically, it looks like it belongs there. So you could just say, oh, it's part of that world. Fine. Like people are clamoring for more Star Wars always, especially in the 80s, right after Return of the Jedi and, you know, Caravan of Courage and Battle for Endor. <laughs> so it's just, yeah, it, it's just a major sort of misstep. Right. And it like it just feels like something that that grew out of their control before they realized what was happening. OK, so like the train was going, the money machine was rolling and like we can't stop it now. We stop it now. We lose everything. But if we keep going, like we might be able to like make something back. Like at least we'll have the Michael Jackson diehards that will come every year and the Disney fanatics that will come all the time, you know, so. It was this or nothing. Right. And it's like we might we have to have something some product it's unfortunate that it's not good like no one wants it to be bad i i was genuinely coming back to it being like i can't wait to rewatch this i remember this kicking a lot of ass as a kid and like being fun and just as fun as star wars and all that kind of stuff and then watching it and being like this is like a nightmare <laughs> this is like everything i don't want right now ultimately though it is good because it achieved its goal which was a, a very, very successful ride, right? Wait, 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 wait. That doesn't mean it's good just because it profited. <laughs> For Michael Eisner and Disney. You know? I guess you're right. So maybe not yeah, good. It was, it was a success. It was a success. But, but they, it's a success. But they don't look at this and be like, let's do that again exactly the same way because it made money. You know, it's like, that's why it took forever to get a Tron sequel because they're like, we want to do this again, but we can't do it like we did it the first time because, you know, that didn't work the way we thought it would. Totally forgot there's a Tron sequel. There needs to be another Tron. Oh, and it's amazing. I love that movie. Saw it in the theater. F Punk did the whole soundtrack. It's strange. Like, you would think in, you know, all the media that they've tried to redo, like they would make another Tron or like a Tron series for Disney Plus, but that's. I think they're trying to do a Tron 3. Ooh. Hey, who knows, man? I mean, like, they'll do anything at this point. They, I I remember when Disney Plus first came out, I wasn't the only one jokingly on Twitter or the X going like, revive Captain EO, like, recast them. Like, let's do this, Disney Plus. Like, six episode series, like, of a remake. Like, do it do it for real this time. It's just, again, the Michael Jackson thing. They don't really want to touch that. But Well, you, you got to recast it. I'm, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, they have, have to, but, like... Well, I'm just saying they're never going to retouch this property because of Michael Jackson. But I got to say, you know, it was a wild ride. No pun intended. It was a great experience to watch this for the first time for me and talk about it. Um, and, you know, really get into a level of Coppola's career that we haven't really touched, which is just, you know, he's helping out a friend kind of here. Look, he's getting paid handsomely, I think, but he's also. Yeah, work for hire. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, him and George Lucas go side gig. Him and George yeah. Lucas go way back. Please listen to all our other episodes when it comes to that kind of stuff. One more Francis Ford Coppola fact that I wanted to mention: he was the one who who thought of the name Captain EO. He thought of the Greek god. That's so Francis, which is like you know, but like he thought of the Greek god Eos, which is the god of or goddess of dawn. And he thought Captain EO was, you know, bringing Dawn onto this planet that did not, you know, that was in the sort of dark age. So he's the one who came up with the name. It does have a lot of Francis Hallmarks in it. I want to be clear, he didn't just show up to set and direct. He did 
have a lot of ideas that got contributed to the final product. He just wasn't as involved as we're used to him being involved in this. Mm-hmm. He certainly was involved in the promotion. They slapped his name on it. Oh, I'm sure when you were there, it said Captain EO starring Michael Jackson, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, produced by George Lucas. Like they, they did not hide that. This is not a spe- you know secret fact. He was a big part of it. I would say people showed up 80% for Michael Jackson, 10%, maybe more, probably 15% for George Lucas, 5% at the time for Francis Ford Coppola. <laughs> yeah. I think people might have stayed away because of Francis Ford Coppola at the time. <laughs> it was a different time. Now we look back at it and we talk about it, especially on this podcast, yeah. because of the Coppola thing. Other people talk about it because of the Disney thing or whatever. Um, but as like Bob Iger today struggles with how to revive the Disney properties as they had a very bad year. I look back at something like this and look back at Michael Eisner as corny, as schlocky, as Hollywoody as we might talk about it today. I look back at it saying, like, at least he took a chance. And I think that's what you got to do. You got to throw some shit at the wall and see what sticks. <laughs> you don't You don't think if he had the dial of destiny, he'd go back and be like, maybe I used the... Uh... <laughs> Convince this guy not to do this. <laughs> Considering the Dial of Destiny is one of the reasons that they are in this hole right now. I know. That's why I keep mentioning <laughs> it. I personally liked it, but, you know, I'm who I am. Whatever. We're not here to, like, fix Disney. But I think, again, they they set their expectations too high for certain oh, for yeah. certain projects, right? Like, And that, I think yeah. that's their problem. Mm-hmm. They seem like they're unfallible. Like they can't, you know, they can't fail at this point because of the size of their properties. But they can. To, to plug your podcast, we covered Ant Man three on your podcast, and I think I enjoyed it a little bit more than you guys. But the fact that like they need to look themselves in the mirror and say to themselves, "Hey, we were depending on Ant Man three to have a big budget and have a big success." Like really, you know what I mean? It's Ant Man <laughs> three. Ant-Man should never yeah. have been a success in general. Don't bank things on <laughs> Ant-Man 3. Ant-Man 3, I liked it because it is what it is, and that's what it should be. It's the third film in an Ant-Man series. Don't put a tentpole around it, you know what I mean? Right. Don't don't mark it as like the first in the next phase because it's no one no one no one believes you. <laughs> You're an expert in third films. Third films should be a continuation. Third films should not, in my opinion, they should not be the tentpole of what the summer should be. And a lot of them fail, or or whatever, whenever it came out. A lot of them fail because of that. But back to EO, at the end of the day, it was a huge success. Yep. No denying it, and we're still talking about it, so it won. This was awesome, Mike. You know, thank you so much for bringing (laughs) it to my attention. I'm so glad we could talk about this. I'm glad I don't have to apologize <laughs> for bringing it to your attention. <laughs> Unless I can edit this out, you can hear the babies crying in the background. Time for me to go, Mike. So, yeah, makes sense. Why, why don't you uh, give us our send off and we'll see what we cover next. All right. Well, Ryan, uh, leave those guns and take those canoes. <laughs>